Welcome back to this week's podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Ralph Aaron. Ralph is originally from Estonia and plans to graduate this December with a degree in international management and finance. In parallel with attending Franklin, Ralph is heavily involved in car racing and has been racing since 2010. Recently, he began managing Prima's Formula Regional European team, and I'm super excited to have him on the podcast today. So officially welcome to the podcast, Ralph. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. Of course. So let's kind of start a little bit with how you got involved with racing in the beginning. So long story short, I was a kind of a, I guess you could say a menace, menace as a kid. <laughs> I was really excited about engines and anything that involved engines and racing. And I was very, very competitive. And I wanted to get involved with uh, motocross, so two-wheel racing. But my dad said it's too dangerous, so he bought me a go-kart. And I went racing with a go-kart. And honestly, I didn't like it at the beginning. But just because I was such a competitive person, I wanted to go back because I wanted to beat the guys and I wanted to win. And, uh, and yeah, and that was the whole plan. It was kind of a hobby for a long, long time. But the results started getting better. I started to win some championships. Then as I got older, we started going to Europe to race. Um, and yeah, then it, everything kind of escalated in 2014-15 when I went to race Formula 4. And uh, I did really, really well. Like I surprised myself, but uh, everyone around me, I think, kind of saw it coming. But because to me, it was always a hobby. I didn't expect much. But I won the Formula 4 championship with some big names around me. And uh, yeah, then it escalated and I continued on to Formula 3, uh, which is already completely professional level racing. And, and that's where it continued. And I continued racing until 2018 at a professional level. Uh, then it, the whole thing kind of collapsed in 18 and I got a job offered to work as a team manager in 19. And that's what I've been doing until now. Nice. It's kind of funny that you just basically fell into the sport. You know, I feel like it's kind of a very niche area to just, you know, accidentally be very good at. So that's really exciting. Um, I mean, my father always raced. My father used to race motorcycles himself. So I think a lot of like family friends around and there were always engines around and, you know, things like that. I think that's, that's how it all gets started. It's still like family. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, you know, something I was curious about was day to day. What is it like being a team manager? What is it like or what do I actually do? I mean, give us a little bit of both. What do you do and what is it like doing what you do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, basically, what I do, actually, the day-to-day -day stuff depends a lot on on uh, what exactly we are doing at this time. So a racing season usually goes from anywhere around March until November. And we have, most of the time, we have two race weekends per uh, per month or, you know, sometimes it's busier, sometimes it's less busy. On a race weekend, it's literally to manage the team to make sure everything runs smoothly, um, 
to time everything because the schedules are really tight. So I need to, you know, make sure the mechanics are doing their thing at the right time, engineers, drivers, and then there are also activities that interact with each other. So I need to make sure, you know, everything runs smoothly and, and well and efficiently. Yeah. Then another like key aspect, let's say, is I'm kind of in charge of the performance as well. Not in a direct sense because I'm not, I'm not behind the wheel. I'm not engineering the car. But truth is, um, what I do during the off season. So the people we hire, how we motivate people, the drivers we take, all of these things are uh, largely my decisions. And right now we are heading into the off season. So my day to day right now is mostly just talking with people a lot on the phone, trying to figure out what is out there, what, you know, what engineers are doing, what mechanics are doing, what drivers are doing, who to target, etc. So a lot of talking, let's say right now during the off season, then during the season between the races, it's mostly administrative stuff. Um, you know, just logistics and stuff like that to make sure everyone is at the at the right place at the right time. And then also I, I always oversee all the meetings. So the meetings between the engineers regarding performance, etc. the meetings uh, between the mechanics, meetings between the engineers and mechanics. So I oversee all of that. And in case I see something we need to improve or change, then I do it. I tell them what to do and what to change. Okay. So that's more or less what I do. Nice. So lots of coordination, it sounds like. Exactly. Mostly, most of the time it's that. And, and what it's like um, when everything is going well, it's super cool. <laughs> but uh, when things are going bad, it's, uh, it's not easy. Because usually, if things are not going the way you want them to go, it's because you made some wrong calls or wrong decisions, uh, you know, previously, a couple of months before. And then to turn them around, it takes time. Yeah. And you got to be patient. And then, you know, it's nobody wants to be patient. That's one thing. And the other thing is you kind of need to uh, choose a direction, stick with it. And, uh, and yeah, hope for like not hope for the best, but then that's the thing. If it works, everything is fine. If it doesn't, it's on you. Yeah. Fair enough. Sounds like a great, <laughs> sounds like a great, if it's good, then you want to take responsibility. If it's bad, you're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is, you know, like it's the case with most managers, you know, in the end, you're just coordinating things and okay, you make decisions, you, you take calls, right? Yeah. But the real job is done by the engineers, the mechanics, all of that, you know? So <laughs> even when things are, oh, and the drivers, especially, of course. So even when things go really well, you know, you can't really take, you can't still take 100% of the credit. Yeah. yeah. But when things are going bad, everyone's going to look at you. Yeah. Then it's almost all. <laughs> Fair enough. Something actually just came to my mind in terms of motivational, you know, speeches, sayings, like, do you have any go-tos to sell your drivers? Actually, no. Um, I've thought about this a lot recently, actually, not, not only drivers, but with everyone. Yeah, yeah. Because the truth is in this sport, if you want to be successful, um, you, you need to work more uh, than what you're getting paid, than what you're getting paid for. 
Uh, it's completely normal to work over hours. I mean, and they're all unpaid. And it's mostly because a lot of the people in the sport are driven by passion and they want to win. And the good thing going on for the team I work in is that it's been incredibly successful for such a long period of time that when you come into our organization as a driver, as a mechanic, engineer, whatever, you know what the expectation is. And the expectation is to win. And it's not at all costs, but, um, but you're expected to work for it. Yeah. I like that. And that, that already, that whole environment creates a kind of a situation where, you know, like I said, the people who are not ready for it, they don't come. So everyone that ends up and, and obviously that's part of when we hire people and when we take drivers, it's part of uh, what we look for as well. You know, are they, do they believe in what we do and are they willing to work for it? And yeah. that already, when you have enough people motivated like that, they motivate each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that can become really positive energy to, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's a really good thing, honestly. And, um, and regarding drivers, um, I only, I don't, I work closely with a small amount of drivers. So I try to, you know, get a little bit more personal, etc. So everyone needs different things at different times, you know, and, uh, and yeah, let's see. Sometimes, sometimes when I feel like I could, they could benefit from me saying something, you know, either can be whatever you know sometimes you're having a bad weekend and you just come up to them and you know because usually i'm the one putting pressure on them and when they're having a bad weekend and sometimes it's not only their fault you know the best thing to say is like okay listen actually if you look around the sport you're doing it's privileged uh, what you can it's pretty cool what we're doing here you know we're racing cars etc just go out and have fun yeah. and other times uh, when they're not you know when they're not at the level they're supposed to be, I'm also being honest to say that, uh, listen, you're doing a shit job and get your stuff together. You know, I, I feel like you're lacking in this, in this area. And if we can help somehow, let us know, but we need to fix it. So depends on the situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a nice balance for sure. I mean, yeah, theoretically, <laughs> it's not easy yeah. to do it all the time, but I try. Of course. Of course. And, so on a more sentimental note, I was wondering, you know, if you could sum it up, like, what does it mean? The fact that you're, you know, super young and you're a team manager, what does it mean to you? Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting deep here. What, what I can tell you is um, what I really enjoy because... I've done, I've done this for three years now. And uh, what I really enjoy is having people who are more experienced than me, better than me, older than me, um, respect me. And the fact that, you know, we're able to work together, we have mutual respect no matter what, you know, like you said, I'm super young for this job and, and so on, but it doesn't matter. And that we all treat each other equal in that sense. And that's that's really important to me. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously it's in, I mean, I'm working in a sport that I really love. So yeah. when you're doing something you really like and you really respect, etc., and then the people there respect you as well, then, you know, it makes it special. Yeah. What do you like most about the sport? 
it's, I mean, like any top level sports, it's incredibly competitive and it's tough. And the highs are really high and the lows are really low. So if you like intensity, if you like that, um, the feeling of winning something that you worked really hard for is, I mean, it's really rewarding, but it's also really punishing when things don't go your way. So, so yeah, there are a lot of good things that you like about the sport, but there are also a lot of bad things that, I mean, not bad things, but like I said, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And I like that. I like the highs. So that's what keeps everyone motivated, I think. Yeah. And so now that you're a team manager, um, what has that been like? How was that transition from kind of being a racer um, and then now working on the more professional aspect of it? Like management. Um, uh, it was a really weird experience because I started. When I'm, I still am really young, but when I started, I was twenty. When I got the job offer, uh, for example, all my colleagues, fellow team managers in the championships, they were all forty plus years old. So, when I got the job offer, it was a surprise to me, honestly. And but the people who offered me the job were the same people who I used to race for and won the championship in 2015 with. So they know me for a long time, and they really believed in me, which was really really cool to see. And they supported me a lot, and that helped the transition a lot in the sense that, I mean, I can give you an example that racing at that level is very very expensive. Uh, the annual budgets per one car per driver over half a million euros and a lot of that money usually comes from family or some people have some sponsors mm, but most of the time it's family or friends and you know when you spend that much money on your kid or whatever and a 20 year old kid comes and shows up to the racetrack and says hi i'm the team manager now who runs what 15 people and all your money, more or less, is <laughs> trusted into my hands to turn it into results. Uh, if I was a father or whoever who put the money down, I'd be pretty shocked. But, but like I said, the people who hired me supported me a lot. And, and everything went well. That's nice. That's really exciting. And so how has it been kind of being able to pursue your passions on such a high level, but also still attending university um, in regards to like managing your time? Uh, not always easy, <laughs> let's say. I can tell you that. Uh, sometimes grades suffer because of that. Um, yeah. But... Uh, I, and I did take a small break from university at one point. I took a gap semester with, uh, with the plan of never coming back. <laughs> but I'm still here and I'm graduating, luckily. Um, but I think, honestly, me personally, I think it's a personal thing as well to everyone. It's different, you know. But I personally work really well under pressure and and constraints so if there is a time constraint that you know i have to do this this and this and a lot of times i'm in a position where i can't do everything as well as i would like to and i can prioritize really well things that get me the maximum uh, result out of the least amount of effort in that sense i know professors don't like to hear this but you know 
when I'm studying for a test and I know I have to study for another test for the next day as well, then once I know that I think I can get a 75 or 80% or even 85, I stop studying and I move on to the next subject. Because to get that 100, you need to put in so much more effort. Yeah. And with that same effort to get that 100, I can get another test to 80% as well. <laughs> so I just move on to that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And in terms of your day-to-day like balancing, what is it like being back in Lugano and also still be having this kind of like, it's because it's a composition, right? All year round managing this team. Yes, and there's a lot of traveling involved. So uh, when I was racing as well, it's kind of the same thing, you know, the traveling and everything is very similar. Now I go to the races as team manager before I went as a driver. So nothing changed that much in that sense. but. Um, during normal times, it was, th- so let's say pre-COVID, it was tougher because I had to miss a lot of classes and obviously that makes learning much more difficult. But honestly, COVID has, although, you know, not happy that all of this happened, but it actually has helped me because moving online allowed me to, because a lot of times the problem was not that I didn't want to study or I didn't have time to put the effort in, but the problem was I couldn't be it in two places at once and with the whole us moving online i could you know do work during the day and also when i had one lecture during the day i could still do that lecture fully focused from a different location from work yeah so that honestly has helped me a lot absences have gone down massively (laughs) yeah yeah and um you mentioned that you were gonna leave leave university and never come back what made you come mm. back? Uh, my whole racing career collapsed as a driver. <laughs> and so, what did that did that kind of make you rethink everything, or like what did that make you really? Mm. At the time, honestly, I don't know, but the whole thing happened very, very fast. And uh, coming back to university, I didn't want to have. Um, I didn't want to have a period where I'm doing nothing and I feel really guilty when I'm doing nothing for some reason. So immediately when I had, when that started to go bad, I was, I emailed the school. Okay. Technically I just took a leave of absence. Can I please still come back? (laughs) They were like, yeah, sure. So, okay. Nice. Um, kind of talking about Lugano a bit, I'm curious to kind of hear your perspective on what your favorite memories at Franklin are. Like, what what made you choose to come to Franklin? First of all, what made me choose to come to Franklin was, um, I mean, we're family friends who went there before, uh, who I really, you know, like as people and who they are and what they represent and what they do in life. So I think a university is you know shapes a lot of what you like whatever you become as a person later on and uh, and it, they recommended Franklin to me and Lugano so that's pretty much what made my decision I trust people a lot sometimes hey I mean I feel like usually there's no harm in that and um just off the top of your head like what first comes to mind like when you think of favorite memory or experience at Franklin? Uh, so the people, 
I found a really, really good group of friends at Franklin. Um, I was really fortunate and lucky, I guess, that um, the person, the people I was roommates with from the beginning became my really, really good friends. And it was the, you know, group of people that I think even if we weren't allocated as roommates and or into the same dorms and so on, I still would have ended up hanging out with them. So I was actually, I don't know if it was accidental or the school is really good at that, but I was put together with the people that, you know, I really liked in them. Yeah. And so like we mentioned, um, you're graduating in December, which is exciting. Um, and I'm kind of wondering what's next for you now that you're going to enter the real world, you could say. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I have no idea. I mean, okay, it's not, that's not true. Um, I have a couple of options. One is to continue doing what I'm doing, but just, you know, dedicating even more time to it and moving somewhere close uh, to my job. Another option would be to come back to Estonia and, uh, you know, build something here, do something here. And the third option would be to, uh, because I'm graduating in management and finance, to try and find an internship or a job somewhere in the finance field in Switzerland, for example. So I have a good problem that I think there are a couple of op options to think about. But at the moment, what I'm leaning towards is to continue doing what I'm already doing. Yeah. And so where would you be moving? It's in Italy, right? Most likely Italy, yeah. The company I'm working for is based in Italy. Although, I mean, races are all over Europe and the world, actually. So we travel around a lot. But, uh, but yeah, the company's headquarters are in Italy, so I would move there. Okay. Not too bad, not too bad. The options no. you have. Yeah, like I said, I have, a, I have a good problem to deal with. Yeah. And maybe, who knows, I'll update the uh, description of this podcast with what you end up deciding post-grad. <laughs> see but yeah one thing honestly that didn't even come to my mind a lot of people go instead do a master's after undergrad yeah. and that that's not what i'm what i'm thinking of doing at the moment yeah I would, I would like to go work yeah i think that i admire people who choose a master's post-grad um but i can't really <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Sharing a little insight on what it means to be Ralph. Um, <laughs> I wish you the best and good luck with your next and last semester at Franklin. Thank you so much for the invite and thank you for, yeah, thank you for inviting me. Hope to see you soon. Of course. Bye.